Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thanks for joining me. And this morning, our first guest is Miss Annie Evans. She's the Executive Director of South Fair Community Development in South Dallas at Fair Park. Annie, how are you doing this morning? I am doing well. Thank you for having me, Chris. For those who don't know, South Fair Community Development has been a nonprofit builder in the Fair Park District for 30 years, building affordable homes for low- to moderate-income families. So tell us how this whole organization started and some of the work you guys have been doing over the years. Yeah, so um, like you said, South Fair is celebrating its 30th birthday this year. And so um, it was established in October of 1991, actually by Linda Walker. She's now Linda Walker Bender, um, but she was a CRA um, bank representative, and she just had a full heart for South Dallas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she saw the dilapidated buildings, the blighted area, and decided to start South Fair uh, to other folks, and it's been going ever since. I am uh, South Fair's third executive director, um, and I've been with um, South Fair as an ED since October 2011. So that's almost 10 years um, for me serving as South Fair's executive director. But the full mission of South Fair is to provide affordable housing for um, low to moderate income families in South Dallas or those who are looking to uh, reconnect to their South Dallas roots. Exactly. I mean, there's some there's some areas there, like you said, they're be, they're revitalizing the area just like it's rapidly. It's like over the years, yeah, there's some work that needed to be done, and now a lot of that work is being done. And but there's also some homes there. Now you tell me the different types of homes that you're able to help them with because I know there's some classic homes that are there, and they just needed to be fixed up. And then I also noticed. There's entire blocks where brand-new homes are being built. Yeah, so there certainly is. So Southford has been um, blessed to have been able to acquire a number of lots. That's a unique position for um, a nonprofit, particularly of our size, to be in. So we currently have about 38-plus vacant lots that we own um, outright. And so we've had the opportunity to build new homes, brand-new homes. Ah, um, on um, a number of lots that we've had and actually been able to utilize um, a rent-to-own program that we had in the recent past and also just direct sales. Once again, the home buyer counseling services that we provide is really key to helping people to connect and have an opportunity because you have a lot of folks that may not think that it's an option for them. Um, generational renters, that's a real thing that, you know, mm-hmm. you're Grandma may have rented and your mom, and then, you know, therefore now you're renting. Um, it just wasn't a conversation. It's never been a thought. And so we really help folks to realize there's an option for them. Some of them have, you know, more of an uphill battle than most, but it's, it's, it's all doable if you, ha- you dedicate the time and we're there to hold their hands through the entire process. So since you're building those homes, you're able to provide free home buyer counseling? We do, yes. It's all free. We don't charge anything for our services. Um, the only thing that the folks do pay for is their credit report, or if they have their own credit report, we can, we're can we able to use that as well. And so we really pride ourselves on that um, because in nowadays, it's just you're going to find a cost for almost everything mm-hmm. <laughs> that you want in life. So to be able to provide those uh, free services 
is really key for us, and we hope to be able to continue to do that, you know, through our donation and, and fundraising efforts um, that we put on throughout the year. We're visiting with Annie Evans, and she's the executive director of South Fair Community Development. Can you talk about some of the successes that you've had recently? Yes, yes. So with our Fair Park Estates development, um, we've established a Fair Park Estates Neighborhood Association. And so we eventually, initially uh, created that, but now the homeowners themselves um, have run away with that. They mm-hmm. have their monthly meetings. Um, they've put on the uh, National Night Out. Um, events for their neighborhood. Of course, this is pre-pandemic, <laughs> so we hope to get back to that hopefully this fall. But out of the 30 initial houses that South Fair built in the Fair Park Estate development, about 14 of those graduated from our rent-to-own program. Wow. So that, that was a, just a beautiful experience for mm-hmm. those folks to actually be able to live in the house that they're eventually going to buy. And they continue to um, attend their pre-purchased home buyer counseling and all their meetings and they stayed connected with us, and we were able to connect them with one of our lending partners that we work with, and they were able to purchase a house. And so we really make a hard effort to stay connected um, to the folks that we serve. Just this past Saturday, we, we had a our first front yard competition for our neighbors, our homeowners. Look so, out! Yeah, it was really fun. We had um, a fire department representatives come out, our police uh, folks came out. Um, of course, some board members and also uh, Councilman Bazadu, who serves um, our district, came out as well. And so it was very fun. The sun was out for us. The rain nice. Away. Nice. <laughs> it was really, really nice. And I think everybody enjoyed it. And so we're, we're looking forward to doing that again next year and kind of wrapping it up even more. So we've had successes in, in different areas um, of what we do, from staying connected to the community to actually building um, the houses and, of course, the free home buyer counseling that I've talked about. You know what I love about this story so far? It's you're you're not just it's not just a collection of houses. It's not like you just guys are just building houses. You are creating community neighborhoods. Like people, some people have been connected maybe in the past or currently connected, but you're making sure that the neighbors know each other. You got your homeowners association. It's just like any strong neighborhood would be in the suburbs. Yes, yes. We we definitely make an effort for that because we want them to stay connected to their community, um, to stay involved. Um, we, we constantly send them emails. They may get tired of our emails, so we're <laughs> always sending them information about what's going on, a council meeting or anything like that. And I think um, they definitely do appreciate it, and they've grown to have their own connection. And I can tell that when we ha- do have events and how they communicate you know, with each other. And so we'll continue to push that forward because, like you said, it's not just about building a house. You know, anybody or developer can build a house and sell it and then move on to the next project. We're here. You know, South Fair's been in the South Dallas uh, Fair Park neighborhood for 30 years, and we're just dedicated to that neighborhood and just seeing it. Yeah, you know it better than just some builder that's coming in out of Houston or Chicago or L.A. That's right. Because the Dallas, like I said, the South Dallas neighborhood is what we know. Um, we've built um, some houses in a cliff, but that's been very, uh, that was a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. So South Dallas is where we're at, sunny side of South Dallas. <laughs> that's right. Sunny South Dallas where the sun always shines. We're talking with go. Annie Evans. She's the executive director of South Fair Community Development. They're building homes right there in South Dallas, right there around Fair Park. And I noticed that you guys are, like, when you build the homes, you're trying to make them affordable for low to moderate income uh, families. So with that being said, is there a model or a a set of models they can choose from? And then what if, say, uh, you got the money and you like the area and you want to build something bigger? Yeah, so um, actually we've worked with um, a few different architects on um, the houses that we build. And so, yeah, they do get some, some choices in what they want to see in their houses. Um, you know, paint color, bricks, and things like that. And so as far as choosing, um, I'm sorry, what was that second question? If you wanted to have something bigger, let's say you got the wherewithal, but you love the area and you don't want necessarily to be in a smaller home, you've got enough money to put down or, or you know, to have something a little bit larger. No, yes, that's correct. We've actually sold um, one or, a couple of our lots, actually, to folks that wanted to create their, you know, forever home in sure. South Dallas. But our product maybe just didn't meet their needs, and that's okay. 
you know, um, and, you know, it's okay for them to, to want something different. And so we actually have a homeowner. He's um, in the process of building his, uh, I think it's actually a three-story townhome that he's working on on one of the lots that we sold to him. You know, we don't sell our lots all willy-nilly. We're very particular mm-hmm. and passionate about the land that we do own because we want to be the most effective as we can, you know, for the community. So, and I bet you want continuity as well. You want they're all you want it to look similar to a degree and unique on its own. There you go. That's right. We want a uniqueness, but also there's the uh, South Boulevard Historic District that's there, and so yep. we want to definitely complement, you know, what's already been established. Exactly. And you mentioned established and you mentioned generational. I also noticed on the website, which is absolutely awesome, the South Fair Senior Care. Can you talk about that? Because a lot of people, you know, they got grandma, grandpa still <laughs> with them or, uh, uh, or Aunt Biv. You know, she's got to have a place somewhere nearby, too. Oh, you're right. So our South Fair Senior Care is a way for us to help our seniors age in place for as long as possible. And so with our Aya Village is a, senior, a low-income senior apartment complex that we own. And also we have um, two small apartment complexes, complexes mm-hmm. Alpha Parnell and Boulevard Square. And in those units, we have a good number of seniors as well. And so the idea was to provide them an opportunity at least once a month to do get out of their, their apartments, to um, go to the movies. We've had senior yoga. Um, we've had um, financial literacy for seniors, so a very various activities um, and informational sessions that we offer to them. Like I said, in order for them to age in place as long as possible, be the most informed that they can be um, as seniors, and we want to help them along the way. You know, so interesting and amazing about this. All of this is right here in sunny South Dallas. I'm just so impressed that um, these things are there. A lot of people don't even know about it. I know. We definitely want to continue pushing our marketing efforts. And so I was just happy that our home buyer counselor, uh, Marianne, was able to connect with you all. And mm-hmm. so this is one of our opportunities to just spread the word and let folks know that we're here. We're a small um, office and we have a 12-person board and we have some advisory board members. And But we definitely need to do more with um, getting our name out there. Our chair likes to say, just like folks know Coca-Cola, she wants folks to know South Fair's name. So. Exactly. That's what we're, we're aiming to do. Well, that's what Better Living's all about. It's, you know, it's a show about people and organization making an impact about around Dallas Fort Worth, and that's what you all are doing. Um, we talked about this briefly earlier. You got the financial literacy and post purchase workshops. Can you talk about these workshops and how people might be able to get involved with that or actually use your services? Yeah, it's like once again, just like our home buyer counseling is free, our post purchase workshops are free. And the workshops vary from financial literacy. We offer that to seniors, um, kids, and also just adults. And we have um, workshops on how to maintain your house. We um, invite speakers to come in, uh, lending partners, and others to come in and talk about what it means to get a mortgage. Um, we talk about budgeting, various, various topics uh, that we go over with folks. And we also, you know, provide refreshment. That's important mm-hmm. <laughs> to give folks to, they come on out as well. Um, but we're happy to provide that because, you know, once you get the house, right, you buy the house right. and you're like, hey, that's, that's definitely a hooray moment, but we want you to keep the house. So in order to keep the house, uh, we provide those post-purchase workshops um, to be able to provide them additional information. You know, they learned how to get a mortgage. Now let's learn how to keep up with the mortgage budget, uh, you know, for things that may come up, you know, out of the blue, make sure they're saving and, and things like that. And once again, just helping them keep connected, uh, not only to us, but to lending partners, to um, other uh, providers that can help them. Okay, so you mentioned all this. Let's go ahead and pull the curtain back. We're coming off of a pandemic. There's a lot of people in the gig economy, especially younger people under the age of 40, and they're just trying to make their credit look good so that they can be in position. Can you talk about how you might be able to help them improve their credit scores? Do you show any uh, literacy about that? Oh, yeah, we definitely do. In our pre-purchase home buyer counseling sessions um, and the appointments that we have, credit reports is kind of number one <laughs> yeah. the thing that we go over. And we don't overwhelm um, our clients with, you know, just saying, hey, you have about 10 things you need to take care of. We tackle one thing at a time because, you know, everyone wants to feel accomplished. And so we want them to be able to check off, you know, that, hey, you've completed this, you've paid 
that debt or you've made that correction to this line item on your credit report just so they can feel accomplished. You give folks too much at once, and credit report and scores anyway is overwhelming and can be depressing at mm-hmm. times. And so, we, like I said, we definitely hold their hand through the process and just to make sure they know that we're here for them and we'll just tackle it one at a time. You know, if they don't limit themselves on their time frame, because everybody wants their house tomorrow, and I understand that, but sometimes it takes a little time to, to work through things, but we'll help them get there. You know what it is? It boils down to this. If you really want something, it's about making a plan and following mm-hmm. the plan, and then you see uh, steps along the way, a sense of accomplishment, and you know that you're getting closer and closer. And I know that's tough. Like you said, this is a instant gratification world we're living in and people want mm-hmm. something overnight. But if you show them a plan and you say, this is the first, I, I think you get a lot of people on board, right? No, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, because a lot of folks, they've been kind of tackling their credit reporter on their own for a while. And it could be pride or just not knowing they don't reach out for help. And when they do come, you have somebody that's going through it with you. You have mm-hmm. somebody that's helping to hold you accountable. Because um, when we, you know, say, okay, well, give me a copy of that letter that you sent to your um, creditor or bring me a copy of your bank statement. That's how holding them accountable. So they know they have to do that work, right? And they're getting, we're helping to get them closer and closer to their goal of homeownership. You know, I found out uh, talking to some um, people in their 20s, Generation Z, that's what we call them you know, late <laughs> teens in the early 20s, they, like I said, they're, they're living in a, a gig economy. They're, they're multitasking, and when you want to show them something and it's not going to be just totally instant gratification, you kind of have to say a few code words to make them feel like, uh, oh, okay, this is how you get it done. I always use the phrase, oh, yeah, you want to learn this credit score thing? Here's the cheat code. And you say cheat code because they're all gamers. You say cheat code and they just, oh, show me, show me what I need to do. And then they're off to the races. I mean, you got to kind of speak their language sometimes. Have you found that sometimes people come to you and you say, okay, let me try to match this logic to the people who are trying to get these houses? Yeah, no, you're right about that. It is a unique way that you have to speak to actually different generations. Yes. Like everybody absorbs information differently and receives information differently. So um, we've had um, folks that um, maybe have stopped, you know, um, attending their home buyer counseling, and then they pick up later. And then, too, we learn as a group. We come together and we have our meetings, and as we talk about our client files, we we all kind of chip in with pointers or you know things mm-hmm. to kind of think about. And I think that's what helps um, the counselors stay connected. Um, to their clients um, because we kind of talk it through. It's not just a counselor that has their files and they go through it and they're alone in the process. But we, we all help each other. Exactly. And so it, that's how we stay connected and help kind of brainstorm, you know, what's the next best idea for that particular client. I like the way you talk because, again, different people come in with different ideas on how they want to purchase a home. And like you said, it's generational. You may have some people in their, their late fifties that say, okay, this is, I'm coming back to South Dallas. This is where I want to live. And you got to talk facts and figures to them. Whereas, like I said, the younger groups, you know, even uh, Gen X, you got to say, okay, this is what we can do for you. And it's just, you have to, pe- you have to talk to people in their own language. No, you got it. We actually have um, a, a lady who's in her late 50s, early 60s that we're helping to purchase a house. She's not actually purchasing one of our houses, but it's still a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have home ownership happening in South Dallas, regardless if it's our product or not. But, um, yeah, I've noticed that when we have a conversation with her, it's pretty to the point. It's here, here, and there. You know what I mean? Right. A younger person um, that may need um, a little bit more explaining, but not too much to the point where they're like, they're bored and now they're exiting. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's definitely a balancing act. And speaking of balancing act, I have also noticed over the years, especially, like I said, around the Fair Park area, South Dallas is becoming more and more multicultural. It's almost like there's this group of people that just feel like it is the cool avant-garde place to to live and you're working close to downtown or wherever the different areas are, and this is a cool little spot. Am I wrong? Because I've just been noticing. I'm like, wait a minute. It's not all just black. It's not. It's a little bit of everybody over there. Yeah, I think so. You know, a lot of folks have been um, sleeping on South Dallas, but South Dallas has always been where it is, <laughs> in the center pretty much of Dallas, connected to so many different highways, hospitals, um, deep Ellum. 
Um, you go one way, you're in Oak Cliff. Go another way, you're in North Dallas. So it's really central um, to the Dallas area. And so I think folks are waking up to it. Um, but we also want to be careful that we're not causing any type of gentrification. And so Souther is sensitive to that. And mm-hmm. I think we think due to the fact of our land ownership and our um, 30-year position in the neighborhood that we're able to soften that or be able to direct that in a more positive light for the folks that live in South Dallas and that do, that do want to um, come back or make South Dallas their new home. Sure. I understand it's a balancing act. It comes full circle again. It's a balancing act, and you know exactly mm-hmm. what you're doing. You guys have been around there for 30 years. Uh, we talked about this earlier, the Fair Park Estates Neighborhood Association. Now, you guys started that in 2012. Can you tell us more about what it does to help secure those neighborhoods and and make sure that everybody feels like family? Yeah, so once we started um, building out Fair Park Estates, the thought was, okay, how do we stay connected to our folks and how do they stay connected to each other? So we um, built, um, created a neighborhood association. And then the first, a few years of it, um, South Fair um, hosted, directed, um, that neighborhood association until more folks started to buy the house or participate in the rent-to-own program. And so after a couple of years, we had them vote in a president and vice president, and they went, they just started going strong. Um, the president right now is Lionel, and um, the vice president is Norma. They both, of course, are homeowners in the Fair Park Estates uh, neighborhood, and they do a really great job at staying connected uh, to the folks in the community um, providing information. They also have their Facebook website, uh, Facebook, yeah, that mm-hmm. they have, um, and they help to provide information um, to everybody that's in that neighborhood association. So, Annie, let's go ahead and put a face on this organization. We talked about the history of it, and we talked about how you're the third executive director in the 30 years that they've been around. Let's talk about how you got involved with South Fair Community Development. Why did you say, you know what, I think I'd really like to work with this organization? Let's see. Well, actually, back in, what was that, 2004, um, I was South Fair's office manager. And at that time, I was working on my master's degree. Um, I stayed for a couple of years, and then I left to work for another nonprofit. And then I worked for a for-profit, and then um, probably... 12 years ago, I was approached by the interim executive director of Sasser, which is a board member who came on just temporarily, and then he was looking for some assistance. I was, at that time, at home with babies, and so I was, you know, ready to get back out there. I said, sure, I'll, I'll come help out. And so he actually became my mentor, Ted Law, mm-hmm. and um, I worked with him, and then probably a year in, he kind of had a conversation with me and said, you know what, Annie, I think you need to consider um, being South Fair's executive director, and it was not on my radar. And so I told him, you know, okay, I thought about it, and, um, you know, he presented it to the board, board approved, and, you know, I became South Fair's executive director. So I really, really appreciate uh, Ted. He has since passed, but he was definitely my mentor and really helped me, position me to do what I do, and um, just, a, just a great and intelligent guy that um, I appreciate it so much seeing something in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself at that time. So, yeah, so that's kind of how I got started with that. Well, so far the shoes are fitting well. You're not only a, a great executive director, you're a great spokeswoman. You're you're telling the story so well. Can you tell people where they can find out more information and how if they wanted to volunteer or if they wanted to partner with uh, South Fair Community Development, what they can do to, to reach you guys? Yeah, so – definitely visit our website, southfaircdc.org. I am Annie Evans, South Fair's Executive Director. You can definitely reach out to me at annie.evans at southfaircdc.org. Our phone number, 214-421-1363. And on our website, you can connect to our Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook pages. And, of course, our office information and phone numbers and emails of our staff are listed there as well. Annie, we've got to get you back on again to catch up with all the wonderful things going on with South Fair Community Development right there in sunny South Dallas. Thanks for being on. No, thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Joining us right now is the president of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Dallas, Mr. Charles English. Charles, how you been, buddy? Chris, thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure getting back to visiting with you because you and I go back a little ways in time. That is true. And there's so much to discuss, especially about the great things going on with the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Dallas. For those who don't know, uh, Boys and Girls Club of Greater Dallas is one of the leading youth-serving organizations in North Texas, positively impacting over 8,700 children ages 6 through 18. The program's based on intellectual, physical, and social needs of youth, enhancing character and self-esteem are educational and fun, and contribute to youth fulfilling their potential. Basically, you guys have had a program that's been so successful. How long has it been in this area? Well, uh, Chris, good question. I uh, like to address it. And if I can just spend a minute or so, give you a little bit of a backstory. Sure, take your time. Uh, the uh, the Merkinson family, former owner of the Cowboys, uh, they were the leading um, sponsor of the first club in 1965 that was established in West Dallas, West Dallas Boys and Girls Club. And um, that was in 1965. We have since grown to... Um, Nine, what I call traditional sites. These are standalone sites where we pick up kids from school and bring them to the to the location of these standalone sites. And uh, we're in 26 school sites. So over my 15-year um, tenure with uh, the Boys and Girls Club as CEO, uh, we have grown exponentially over that 15-year period. But not just growing for the sake of growth. We grew with the sake of impacting the lives of over 8,000 club kids who are coming to our club every day after school and during the summer. Now, you gave a very nice, and I appreciate the intro into our being the premier, outstanding, highly rated, highly regarded youth organization. mm -hmm. But there's another story behind that. We were broke. We were financially insolvent in 2006. Whoa. I didn't know that we part. Were, Please tell us what we happened. Were, what we, happened? We were, we, yes, we were in the process of uh, losing a lot of our stakeholders, a lot of our funders, because uh, we weren't paying attention to the whole thing that is associated with cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have 35 years as an investment banker. I have a finance background, uh, but my specialty was working uh, with entrepreneurs in, in, the, in the world of banking. So I was on the board of the Boys and Girls Club, and um, I was then faced with a decision to step outside of my 35-year career in banking to step into my new career of youth development. And it was the best decision I could have ever made because I can see the immediate return on my time and my investment in kids than I would have ever seen as an investment banker. So we started turning around the organization in 2006, seven, eight. We got cash back in and we started expanding. We started bringing our donors back, our stakeholders back, our relationship with DISD back. And today, over the last, I would say the last 10 years, we have been profitable. We have been fortunate to uh, develop a $43 million endowment, and we are now rated number one in our class by uh, GuideStar and Charity Navigator, and number and probably in the top 10% of programs, after-school program providers by DISD with a contract that they pay us to serve their kids. That's awesome. Who are our kids. That is absolutely amazing, and that is a great piece of information, and that is part of the story. So who contacted you? How did you decide? And I know it had to be a tough decision because banking was your life, and it turned out to be, like you said, a life-changing moment. Please walk us through that story. Well, uh, I was with um, Compass Bank on Hillcrest in Highland Park managing uh, wealth management, and also doing some uh, commercial business financing and some real estate financing. Uh, but Chris, you know, if, when I look at how I made certain decisions and how I came in to my family and said, oh, by the way, I'm going to, and then they just hold their breath until I tell them what well, I'm going to and fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's always been of service. It's always been how can I uh, balance my life, my family's life, 
with community service. And so I was sitting there one day, spending a whole day tracking down a wire transfer of one of my wealthier customers. And then it dawned on me, is that my life now? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have three kids. Yes, they went to private school. Yes, they are in college, private colleges. And yes, they're doing well. Uh, their mom is very well-educated, former principal of St. Phillips, mm-hmm. and now professor at SMU. What can you do? I said, if you look over your shoulder to your past, will you leave crumbs behind for others to follow? That was a very um, tough question I asked for myself. And I was doing well for my family, but I wasn't giving what I felt I needed to give back to impact lives of people that look like me. Mm-hmm. And you know and what? So keep going, keep I, going. I this is this is awesome. Go ahead. So, 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 to be very specific to your question, what made me decide? Well, you know, I tell people it was the Jonah experience swallowed up by the whale. I was sent to Nineveh. I couldn't sleep. I was tormented. And after three weeks of no sleep, I knew it was a calling. And I answered the calling to um, the Boys and Girls Club. To the Boys and Girls Club. I answered the calling. This and is it was amazing. scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew that I had to fall back on uh, what I've been blessed with, with my financial skills and put those uh, skills to work to, to turn around. And now we're probably one of 100. There are about 1,400 chartered clubs throughout the country. There are many uh, what would be considered urban-based clubs. Mm-hmm. These are clubs located in major cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Houston, Fort Worth, San Antonio. Uh, the list goes on. Well, we're one of the leading organizations of major metro clubs, and we're addressing a number of issues related to uh, the growing gap of education uh, amongst uh, children of color. Mm-hmm. And so that then brings me to this point. We launched an academic program about 10 years ago, and there was a pinup demand for parents that needed help, particularly uh, our single parents our struggling parents who work in multiple jobs, to have a place they can send their kids to get supplemental education, to get their kids on track, to meet the standards of the STAR exam. And we were able to have uh, measurable outcomes showing that uh, our kids under our academic program was faring very well relative to those kids in some of the most underserved communities like South Dallas, certain parts of Oak Cliff, And uh, we were able to show evidence that the extended learning during the after school and during the summer had an impact on the, not just the ability of kids to learn, but excited them to want to learn. This is fantastic. We just built, we just built that momentum and started getting more attention from the principals of the schools, schools who had been designated uh, on a three-year turnaround uh, requirement by the state or they would be closed we became uh the state we became the 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 partner that helped to turn around those schools to the point where they were uh they remained open this is absolutely amazing because again a lot of people on the surface those that don't know what you do think that the Boys and Girls Club is just, well, you can drop them off at the rec center and they can kill time and get tired and come home and go to sleep. And that's not what the Boys and Girls Clubs have evolved to. So as we tell that story, I want to come back and and, and ask you one more question about yourself because when you saw the opportunity at the Boys and Girls Club, again, it was in dire straits. Some people look at that challenge as something like, I don't need this at this point in my life. I've got, you know, I've already been through those things. I'd actually like to help, but I don't want that particular challenge. How did you personally look at that challenge and, and say, I'm going to do this? Uh, then you got to dig more into my past. Um, Go right I ahead. I grew up in a small community uh, in Northeast Texas, outside of Foxville, Texas, population of 357 people. 
and I grew up in a family where I had a mom, seeing a mom, uh, with five siblings, and I saw her struggle, but I saw her how she made ends meet, and she made sure that we were educated. She really reinforced education. But beyond that, we were very, very um, strongly committed to not only our, our church, but also to the community. Uh, at one point in time, we had a farm. We, we, we basically uh, shared uh, harvest as well as our killings to the, to the rest of the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And uh, our house burned. We lost everything. In two weeks, Chris, we were fully back on our feet with uh, house, clothing, food, because the community remembered what we had done in the past for those who needed to be fed during the winter months. So that it was embedded in all of us, in the six kids, is a sense of giving back. And we never could really understand why mom would create that kind of a uh, mindset. So that stayed with me, is to provide service to others. And so I came up with a theme that we started last year. Um, Let's find in each one of us a will to want. Mm -hmm. A will to want. Some of us, you know, don't necessarily understand the power of that will to want to serve, the will to want to provide, the will to want to help someone who's less fortunate, the will to want to listen to someone, the will to want to advocate on behalf of foster kids, the will to want to help that family that is homeless. It has an internal kind of mechanism that gets turned on. And that's what we preach uh, my 200 uh, staff members. Find that will to want, because it's a very powerful tool to make you do things that you would not ever believe that you could do. And so that was the thing that triggered my personal decision to have the will to want to serve kids that would be left abandoned on the street if we had closed. We're talking with Charles English, the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Dallas. You, that will to want, I'm, I'm telling you, it is, it is what's in the heart of healthcare workers, educators, and first responders. Because it's not about the money. They do this nope. because they have that will to want. And you do too. And who would have thought with your financial background that you had that same fire? But you, like you say, you were raised that way. It oftentimes does go back to your earlier experiences. And if I were to get more personal, see, my mom had me uh, when she before she remarried mm-hmm. and uh, gave me to her sister to raise. I didn't know I had another family until I was six years old. Wow. And you know what? And That's not unusual in our community. Absolutely. And here's the other thing I learned. I didn't learn how to read until I was in the second grade, and I was a struggling reader. Guess what we started three years ago in the Boys and Girls Club? An accelerated early childhood uh, reading initiative. And we have taken those first graders coming into first grade with no prior early childhood education. And we hired credentialed teachers to teach those kids. We're on our fifth year now. We started with one club location. We have nine accelerated learning centers in our traditional clubs. Kids don't want to leave. They're reading at or above their reading uh, level, and they don't want to leave their their friends. That is they so impressive. They don't want to become part of the regular boys and girls club programs. Mm-hmm. They want to stay in the reading program. So, so that came out of my own personal experience, and I think that creates another component of that will to want. You got to look at. Why did you have to go through certain experiences? Mm -hmm. What was the thing that God was trying to uh, present to you that would allow you to be the first to go to college, to learn finance, to get into banking, to have ownership of a bank, and to be able to use the tool not for the benefit of wealth, not for the benefit 
buying the big house on uh, biggest house on the street. But what does that skill set do for the community? What you've basically done, Charles, is you're creating a legacy. Well, uh, if that is the case, it would be someone else that would define it as legacy. I just see it as the will to always want to serve. This is, like I said, it's so appropriate because you are in the right place and you have been over the last few years here, 15, 14 years, the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Dallas. And for those who don't know, again, let's talk about the things that the Boys and Girls Club create because you just said this. This is more than just, you know, a, a rec center you drop the kids off. It's a place, a safe place to learn and grow. Um, they learn academic success, character and leadership skills, citizenship, mm-hmm. healthy lifestyles. Can you talk about some of those programs and, like, when the some of the things that you implemented personally? Because you can talk about where it was financially and the, the dire straits, but let's talk about they had a good reputation for providing so many things, but then you added more. Can you talk about those things? Yes, the more uh, ended up with what I just mentioned, the Early Childhood Education Initiative. The other one was STEM. Do you know we had a a team that built robots? We competed three wow. years in a row and uh, went to um, went to Houston to go against some of those high schools that were uh, coached by folks who worked at NASA, and we made it to the semifinal. Oh, wow! We, our kids built a computer. Uh, in the first in the first year, it was just prototype. Um, we didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know how first robotics was going to run and how competitive we would be. The second year, we built a computer that shot a basketball into a goal. The next year, the third year, was to throw a frisbee into a small opening and uh, you create points. And you're in this huge uh, area where you're really competing against three other contestants in the same pit with you all right mm-hmm. so so that was something that was new the other thing we also realized that of our 8,000 kids or roughly 20% of 1,600 kids were high school teens so we developed a career development program identifying those kids who were uh, interested in pursuing college we had I think 10 kids 10 years ago in a partnership with Junior League of Dallas. Now, on any given year, we'll have over 250 kids in our college prep program. We will place in any given year uh, 100, 110 kids into the college and typically college of their choice with as much uh, scholarship money as you can imagine. $1.5, $1.6 million has been the top level of scholarships offered. And these kids are typically first uh, to attend college. Now these kids are coming out, and our second seat, uh, working in the district attorney's office, Idris Kempelu, my mentee, I'm proud to say, is is an attorney. Wow. Uh, Darius Shaw, he is an electrical engineer. I got him into NYU. Wow. And I got another gentleman who is now a marketing manager for a public relations firm in D.C. What they all had in common, they were black males who had not been encouraged to even think about going to college. But I also encourage mentoring. We have a very strong uh, girl mentoring program, but our boys, and I'm glad we're ready to segment into some of the needs. Mm -hmm. We need more male mentors. Now, when you look at the match, well, we have uh, shoot around. We have those, uh, they invite us down to the gym. Uh, to go through, you know, basketball clinic mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Right. Uh, but we, we need to extend that relationship to bring some of those players into our, our uh, into our clubs like Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes was just completely committed to our West, uh, to our Oak Cliff Boys and Girls Club. He was there visiting when we didn't even realize, realize he was there. Yeah, he, uh, he, was, but, he was such but, a great, great uh, community advocate. And when yes. the Dallas Mavericks made the trade with him, it broke it broke their hearts because it's like, well, we have to do it. But, man, he's one of the best persons, not just players, 
they've ever had. One other note about the Mavericks, uh, even back in the day, quiet as it's kept, Steve Nash was a big part of the Boys and Girls uh, Club mm-hmm. locally here in Dallas because he was always a mentee for some of the little kids. It was an yes. amazing story. And, and, and I, didn't, I did not know that. Yeah, and, and here's another, pull back another uh, thing. This is, you've already known this, but a lot of people may not have. To this day, Spud Webb is a huge advocate and mentee for the kids with the Boys he and Girls Club. He went to our turnkey Boys and Girls Club. He learned basketball skills coming out of Wilmer, uh, Hutchins. Wilmer Hutchins School District. Yep. But he learned his skill at the turnkey Boys and Girls Club. He sure did, and way back in the day, show how old I am, uh, back in the day when Spud was in the NBA, he and I and his agent, Robin Blakely, we would do these celebrity charity basketball games. Uh, there were only three sanctioned in the NBA, Larry Bird's, Magic Johnson's, and Spud Webb's, and we get all the different superstars, guys off the Dream Team, Barkley, Dominique, Magic, all those guys would come here, and all the proceeds would go to the Boys and Girls Clubs, and they'd always have a little visit in the whole nine yards. And that was, of course, that was back in the late 80s, early 90s. But you guys have been going so strong, and like you said, it's more complete, and it's more awesome. So let's get back to what you said about the needs. You're saying you need mentees, mentors, rather, for the mentees. Yeah, there are three areas. Uh, Male mentors. Mm -hmm. And let me also say that uh, when kids really know an adult love, care, for their interests and for their needs, I don't care what color that person comes in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, be, to, be, to be honest with you, uh, I, these kids are just anxious to have someone to help direct them uh, and help them in their decision-making and that sort of thing. So, so male mentors, workforce development opportunities, uh, support of our uh, healthy lifestyle, helping kids understand that the way they treat their bodies now is how their bodies going to treat them when they get to be my age, <laughs> 70. <laughs> so, Wait a minute, so, you're not so, 70 years old, no way. Uh, yeah, yeah. You don't look a day over your mid-50s at the most. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you. I, I play a lot of golf. I stay very active. Uh, and, and, uh, and so when I look at where we're headed, where we're headed, our outlook is this. We've already managed to manage our way through the COVID. Uh, we did a lot of things in COVID. Uh, we, we, we served a lot of families in terms of food. We went to virtual learning. We ended up uh, installing three Wi-Fi connectors on our big buses, 64-passenger buses, to take into communities that were very limited in terms of uh, Internet connectivity. Uh, and so we've done a so 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 much to uh, mitigate the impact of COVID on our attendance and, 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 and on our staff. Now we are now looking outward. We're saying come fall, mm-hmm. we are going to get back to where we were on an average daily attendance of 1,800. We probably will come into uh, average daily attendance this fall of about 2,400 kids a day because of our contract with DISD. And that is absolutely that. amazing. I, I got to slow you down because that's absolutely amazing. And I don't want to gloss over what you guys were able to get accomplished during the pandemic because a lot of people had to pivot. Some were yes. not as able to pivot as well. And some, unfortunately, weren't able to pivot at all. You mentioned the virtual learning. Could you talk about what you guys were able to accomplish with the virtual learning and helping these educators uh, with the kids and the Wi-Fi? Because not every neighborhood has got the Wi-Fi. And can you talk about, again, how it all worked and whose idea it was and what kind of a challenge that seemed to be? Uh, well, you know, one of the things I teach my leadership team, and I have an awesome leadership team, by the way. Um, I talk about leadership, and one of the defining moments of leadership is when there is a time of need for you to show leadership. Leadership is defined by actual a response to uncertain situations. COVID created an uncertain environment, okay? Mm -hmm. And we said, what is that going to require of us to maintain our relationship with our club members who will be impacted the most, particularly in communities of color, okay? And we said, well, it's going to be virtual learning. What does that mean? Well, we took a lot of courses. But at the same time, about seven, eight years ago, I cut a deal with Dell Computers 
and we turned our our computer labs into top performing technology where we were importing all kinds of supplemental curriculum for our kids reading math stem uh in terms of uh geography and the, so when we went virtual all the thing we had to add was uh, the virtual application of Zoom, uh, GoToMeeting, Microsoft Teams, and making sure that our kids had computers that they had access to so that we could start teaching uh, curriculum in a remote uh, in a, in a remote virtual world. Mm-hmm. But we made that investment seven years ago to bring our technology center up to a point. And so, so you were ready for the moment, basically. Yeah, in 2020, I spent about over $100,000 to bring everything up to speed, more bandwidth, more power, more access to our kids with the Wi-Fi buses. And uh, we made that investment immediately. We did not wait. And so then we started looking at, well, what about those parents, the first responders that need to bring their kids to our location? Well, let's make accommodation for that. So we took a deep dive into policy procedures in terms of uh, CDC protocol and making sure that our staff, our visitors, our kids were safe from catching the virus. And of our 30-some locate, 35 location at the time, between March of last year to this very day, we only had like six cases that we uncovered because we stayed very true to the to our protocol, that is so we miraculous. were able to continue to serve our kids for those uh, families that had to work. That is absolutely awesome. Now I mentioned the pandemic. I got to centralize a little bit further because everybody's got a story, and I want to hear yours. What about the pivot or what was going on when the power outage happened? Because I know that had to affect <laughs> you guys in in February when the power outage happened in Texas. Well. Uh, one of the technologies that we um, also purchased was a calling tree, which is a technology, a phone call tree, mm-hmm. where when the um, power surge hit and many of our clubs had no power, we put a message out to all of our family members, explaining to them on a daily basis, sometimes twice a day, what was going on if we were getting power back. Uh, we had two only two traditional clubs that retained power and um, and they were able to you know help families who needed um, to go to the to the club for just a warm like a warming station yeah you know and 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 we realized that we still could not do a lot in the way of the impact of the um, uh, of, of the power loss. So we basically put out messages. Again, we had set up for virtual learning anyway, and we just put out messaging about where uh, warming stations, uh, where people could go, uh, basically the do's and don'ts while you're uh, in a situation like that, like avoiding you know, warming your house up with your car running in the garage. So we put out a list of a lot of uh precautionary kinds of notices to our families. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. You were able to stay in touch with everybody, provide a little shelter for those who needed to stay warm, and again, keep them updated on when things would get back to normal. There you go. That is, like again, for those who don't know about the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Dallas, and we're talking to the CEO, President Charles English, it's just you guys are just the great opportunity that a lot of people even heard about but didn't really know. Didn't know about the hope and opportunity, the life-enhancing programs and character development experiences. And you mentioned you're looking forward. Now that you've get, gotten through this pandemic and gotten through the power outage, you said there are some bigger and better things coming this fall. Tell us some of these things that are coming up not only this, this fall but this, this summer and the things that you, you're looking to do. Well, uh, let's go. Let's 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 let's. let's Let's put a, put, a, put a timeline on it. Let's say within the next three to five years. Okay. Uh, we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to expand. We're going to expand and grow inside the uh, the district. Uh, Dr. Hinos and I, we really get friends, and we talk about the needs. And so we want to oh, stay good. very closely aligned 
and committed to helping uh, DISD. Um, he's a great man, by the way. Dr. Hinojosa, uh, oh, I can't say enough about him. Absolutely. Well, he's homegrown. Yes, he is. Sunset. Uh, so growing with impact, uh, not compromising the quality of our programming, uh, we're looking at also a uh, number of nonprofits that did not uh, survive during the COVID. Mm-hmm. And we were able to take over two uh, two locations, two youth organizations, one in um, West Dallas. Uh, the, 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 the organization just could not raise enough money to survive mm-hmm. during the COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, United Way asked if we would consider taking it over because otherwise there's going to be about 300 kids in West Dallas that's going to lose the opportunity to have a place to go back to school in the summer. And we did our due diligence. We looked at it, and we also retained the the former club uh, directors that helped us to stabilize uh, the club. And we're we're back. We're up and running and doing quite well. And then down 50 miles south of Dallas, Corsicana, mm-hmm. a club was on the brink of closure. And we were asked by the National uh, Boys and Girls Club of America to go down and see what we could do to um, get this club up and running and open uh, for one of the most uh, economically deprived uh, communities uh, in Navarro County, which was on the other side of the track, which provide primarily 99% African-American. We were able to go down, and uh, that was almost a year and a half ago. And that club is one of our best-performing clubs of all of our clubs. And the community has turned out big time. Going forward, we're looking at raising capital to build a community center uh, that's going to be a multi-complex of basketball, as well as uh, community training and development for staff for the for the for the uh, families mm-hmm. that live in that community for workforce development. And um, and then uh, talk about me. I've already told you about my age. Um, you know, my horizon is coming up on me pretty quickly here, right? So, you know, we're going to talk about how we're going to build a very strong succession plan. And uh, I'm not giving any dates and times on that, but I think it's very important as a leader that you don't create a gap when you continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. And my moving forward is to create two more entities. One is going to be uh, early childhood development centers with licensed certified instructors. And the other one is going to be a workforce career development center uh, that's going to uh, attract teenagers who are interested in learning skills beyond not just for college, but practical technical skills like carpentry, yeah. electrical, plumbing. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to uh, connect up with um, our partners in the commercial real estate community and say, we want internships summer that will turn into part-time job, that will turn into full-time job, our first opportunity to hire these kids when they finish high school into an apprenticeship program. So I'm looking for a building to be able to introduce our kids to some of the uh, most uh, sought-after trades right now. That is, like I said, you don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it for you. You are creating the legacy. The legacy is already in play, and by the time, like you said, you decide to you know, pass the baton, it it will be said, it will be known. Charles English, you know, the CEO president of the Dallas Boys and Girls Club, the, the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Dallas, the legacy is being done. And you've got people who want to help. You got people who want to partner. You got people who want to volunteer. Can you tell anybody else who might be listening right now how they might want to join with you or even how their kids might get involved. Some people even wonder if there's a fee for the kids being dropped off at the boys and girls clubs. Uh, yes. All good questions that they can find a lot of information on our website. Our website is loaded with information mm-hmm. on our programs, on the fee structure, on uh, the additional fees that's associated with our sports program, which is basketball, flag football, uh, soccer, uh, volleyball, and um, and they can get all that information. But here's one very important thing I want to point out. When they go to our www.bgcdallas.org website, understand that we do not give away anything for free because we are also creating a generational mindset 
that nothing that has value is free. So we offer scholarships. Great. So we have tons mm-hmm. of money that can offer scholarships for those families who are on fixed income, for many of our kids who are being raised by their grandparents or their, their, their foster kids. We will make sure that they will enter our doors and be full-fledged members and benefiting from all of our programs because somebody out there in the community saw their worth and had a will to want to pay for that scholarship and pay for those field trips and pay for that college education because that's where we put our time and effort is finding more people with a will to want. All right. That is Charles English, the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Dallas. And we want to thank everyone again for joining us today. Thanks for listening to Better Living. I'm Chris Arnold. Be sure to tune in next week as we highlight other organizations and events happening right here in DFW. Have a great day, everybody. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.